Thank you for inviting me into your day and welcome once again to the JCMS CME podcast, the audio companion to the Journal of Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery. I'm Dr. Kirk Barber, a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Calgary, and I'm a dermatologist in clinical practice and the editor-in-chief of the journal. Today, I'm interviewing dermatologist Dr. Shital Sapra of the Institute of Cosmetic and Laser Surgery in Oakville, Ontario. Dr. Sapra and his co-authors, Ms. DeMay, the Institute's Clinical Trial Coordinator, and students Kunal Sharma and Raul Sapra and Dr. Priya Sapra, wrote an article in JCMS titled, Daylight-Mediated Photodynamic Therapy with Methylaminolevulinate in Actinic Keratosis Treatment, which we published in our May-June 2018 issue. The article was selected for our Phase 3 CME credit program for its clinically relevant content which highlights the very practical aspects of this treatment, once again using real-world evidence. In our conversation, you'll listen to Dr. Sapra not only review his article, but share his overarching principles for skin health, as he outlines his group's findings from their chart review of 112 patients treated with his modality. I know you'll enjoy my conversation with my very good friend and colleague, Dr. Shital Sapra. So, ladies and gentlemen, here it is. So to start off, it looked it was a chart review. You've got a bunch of uh, of people that worked with you and did a seven year review of uh, of, your, of your clinical practice. I mean, I think that was, was really an important and large number of people to show that we really do have daylight in Canada and we can actually do some of these uh, um, these treatment options that require um, sunlight and people uh, taking the time to go outside and 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 get uh, get clear. So tell me a little bit about how you came about wanting to do this, what drove you to publish it, that kind of uh, that kind of thing. You know, as dermatologists, we're really the skincare experts. And actinic keratosis is something I saw in practice a lot. And all we did as dermatologists was just treat them with liquid nitrogen. But if you look at actinic keratosis, I, I think they're almost like the canary in the, in the mind. They're the canary in the mind where we know something bigger is coming. And what I found we were doing was just seeing people, treating them with liquid nitrogen, letting them blister, and we were leaving them with little white scars. And as time went on, as the years went on, there were more and more scars, and the squamous cell carcinoma started coming out. And I said, this is crazy. We just can't keep on picking at these weeds. We should be treating the whole field and getting the whole field better, making the skin look beautiful. That's what our role in dermatologists is, is to make the skin look beautiful. I thought we were just treating, and I started looking at methods to prevent actinic keratosis and actually improve the skin. So this is where the concept of field therapy came in. So you started, you started in two thousand seven. Yeah. So you must have been one of the early, um, early, early adopters of this technology. You know, I was one of the first few to start using it in Canada because what I was using at that time was uh, FUDEX or five FU. The response rate was good, but patient compliance was really low and a lot of phone calls to the office from a lot of angry patients. And then I just moved on to imiquimod with Zaclara and Aldera. But again, the same problem. When I first introduced to Metrix, and, and I have to be honest, it was, it, it, was, it was a trip to France when I first saw it being used. And when I first started using it in the office, I started doing it in a traditional way, where I'd put it on, let it incubate for three hours, and shine the light on for about 30 minutes. And again, that was a lot of pain. But when they started doing 
daylight metrics, especially in Europe, what I found was with the patients they had very little pain. They had some downtime, definitely they had some redness, they had some erythema, some may blister, but the results were pretty phenomenal. As the article showed, over 90% of patients had very significant, very significant clearing and a dramatic improvement in both the texture and tone of their skin. So for me, it was almost like a double whammy. I was preventing them, I was improving their skin, and aesthetically improving their skin. So if you take a look at patients, and what I did, I started doing this couple of treatments in the first year and one treatment a year after that. And what I noticed, and what the patients noticed, was that their skin was better, it was clearer, they weren't getting any more actinic keratoses. And the one thing that really struck me was when I first started treating this, it was mainly men, men that had been out with lots of actinic damage. Their wives started coming and saying, I want you to do the same treatment that you did to my husband. First of all, his skin is absolutely spectacular. It feels better. And there are no more of those rough areas on his skin anymore. And that's what excited me. So when I first started, it was just a few patients. And then I started ramping it up as more and more demand came in. And patients started coming in word of mouth. So they'd be saying, I've been seeing my dermatologist. I want you to do what I did, what you did to my friend. And that's where I said, you know what? I better go back and look at the data and let's do a chart review. The unique part of your program is that, is that two times in the first session, if you will. So you do them, do these folks one or two weeks apart? Is that... And then, and then annually, and you set up the, that uh, expectation ahead of time? Yeah, it's important to set up the expectation. I think you're absolutely correct there. So the reason I do it twice in the first year is that usually with the first treatment, you get a very brisk reaction. But par- and, and I thought, right, by the second treatment, they shouldn't have that reaction. But paradoxically, in about 50 to 60% of patients, they would still have that brisk reaction in their first year. So there was still a significant amount of damage that was being uncovered by the photodynamic therapy. And in their second and third year, there's obviously subsequently less treatments. But what I also did was, getting into the prevention mode, I mean, there's lots of controversies about sunscreen, but if you start using skincare, and with these patients, what I started adding on was vitamin C as, a, as an antioxidant to suck up the free radicals, and also sunscreen daily. But I asked them to do this on a daily basis. My quote to my patients is, you get up on Christmas Day, you take a shower, you brush your teeth when you're not leaving the house. I want you to put on your vitamin C and your sunscreen as well, because that just maintains the good result that we've had. I don't have data on that, but antidotally, that's amazing results that they get in their skin, and we're giving them beautiful skin. So your time frame of doing this procedure is obviously spring and summer and early fall. Start about mid-April through to October um, in your part of the world? Yeah, you know, there's enough light even in the winter. They've they've shown that in Scandinavia. They have actually built little houses where people sit in for daylight metrics, which are heated. It's hard to do in Canada. But April to basically mid-September is the ideal time because the sun is high, there's enough sunlight, um, usually not much rain, and it's comfortable enough to be outside. In the winter, it's way too cold to be outside. So it works in well. If it's rainy, I will activate them in the office. And some patients don't mind the in-office activation, so I will continue doing that in the fall and winter and early spring. Right. The big 
problem that we had initiating again early on in this this program before actually with conventional PDT was the issue surrounding pain. I mean, we were we were doing nerve blocks. Uh, I mean, there are all kinds of strategies to get rid of the pain, and it is amazing as you point out that people can tolerate this daylight program with ease. I mean, it's, it's like they have no discomfort at all during the time of the treatment. You know, zero, one out of ten on a pain scale. Yeah. And they get a they get a reaction, but the number of people that came back for their second treatment uh, was impressive in your in your work. It is, and, and and I think the one thing we have to take a look at, which we as dermatologists I think sometimes are not doing, we're always in treatment mode. We're spraying, cutting, curetting, but we're not preventing. And what what daylight metrics actually does is not only really improve the actinic keratoses, but it significantly improves the skin so much that we're preventing the actinic keratoses and hopefully preventing squamous cell carcinoma. And as dermatologists, we always worry about melanoma. But when you go to Australia, squamous cell carcinoma is a huge problem. And once it metastasizes, it's very difficult to treat. And if you look at daylight metrics use, it's used a lot in Australia, New Zealand, and Europe. And paradoxically, it's hardly used in America. And I don't even think it's licensed or for sale in America at this particular point, even though Galderma's one of the main headquarters is in Texas. Because they're, they're not into prevention, they're more into treatment. So I think our whole paradigm has to change into giving these people great skin and preventing skin cancers from developing. As I tell my patients, what if I gave you a better heart in 10 years from now? What if I gave you a better liver? With daylight metrics, I'm actually getting them better skin 10 years from now than when I first started with them. That's a very good um, selling point. Because we really do create this quote, beautiful skin in these folks, particularly in the fair-skinned people who have such actinic damage that it really disturbs their um, self, um, self-worth self in many respects, right? Because they have all these scaly things all over them all the time. Yeah. I just want to ask you about the hypertrophic actinic keratosis. Now, I know it's not indicated, and I know we, we correct them off, but when you've, your experience is extensive, um, are you seeing at least a partial response? Are you able to tone down the, the thickness of these things over your multiple treatments? You know, Kirk, when I first assess them, I usually will start them up on their skin care. I'll bring them back in, and I'll take the hypertrophic actinic keratosis, the large ones, and I'll either usually treat them with curatage because I think that gives them the best cosmetic result as well. I've sometimes done it with liquid nitrogen, mm-hmm. but it leaves, them, it leaves them with these little white depigmented scars in about 30% of patients. So... Often before I do my first Metfix treatment, I'll clear up all the localized ones which I think will not respond to Metfix because the true hypertrophic ones may thin down, but they don't go away. Once I've gotten rid of the three or four that I need to get rid of, then the remaining 20 to 30 just disappear within the next few years and no more develop. Okay. So have you had um, much resistance in this annual program? Do you just you just set this up in your office and, and have them sort of, okay, next year, June, you're booked in, if you will, and you got your staff sort of automated to call and do recalls and that sort of thing? If you look at the, if you look at metrics as a whole, patients want to do it. They want to get into preventative mode. The difficulty is cost of drug. And, and, and that's the white elephant in the room. This stuff retails for about $400 a tube, and you need a tube for each treatment. And some provinces it's covered, and most provinces in Canada it isn't covered. And I think that's the biggest challenge for the patients. 
In many patients, if it's covered by their drug plan, they will do their first treatment. But many more, after seeing the results, hearing the results, and seeing the before and after photos and actually believing the concept, a large number of them are just paying for the drug themselves, which is a big spend, right? And there's, there's no markup yeah. on the drug when we give it to the patient. We just give it to them for what we buy it for. But just the fact that they're doing it every year, it shows that patients are liking it and they want to do it and they think it's worth it to look after themselves. I equate it to going to a dentist, right? You go to a dentist for prevention all the time. Some people go get their teeth cleaned. Some people will floss at home. That's your ideal Metfix patient coming in once a year doing their home treatment. Some will go in once every two to three years. Some people do that and some won't do that. So about 10 to 20% of patients won't even consider Metfix. They, they just don't want to do it because it isn't yet truly accepted by all Canadian dermatologists. And I think, and think that is a sticking problem with this treatment. So when you have a skilled operator that's been doing all this, can they take one tube and do a full face? Um, can they take one tube, do a full um, scalp? Is that, is that a reasonable, um, um, a reasonable discussion with the patients that one tube will do your full face, forehead, you know, cheeks, uh, chin sort of thing, and then another tube you'll need for, for your scalp? Definitely. You need two tubes if you're going to do face and scalp. Yeah, okay. So that, that is the fate. But in one tube, you should be able to get the whole of the scalp hole of the face, tops of the ears, and sometimes on the posterior neck as well, I'll put it in. How, what's your, been your experience with uh, forearms and hands? You know, I've done forearms and hands, but not with daylight. I've done, and that's where I usually go to in-office treatments, because at that point, uh, they will have more of a brisk reaction. But in those areas, I do want more of a brisk reaction. The results are good, but not as good as they are on the face. So you're doing an occlu- under occlusion then? Before the uh, before the red light, no, I'm just in- incubating it for about three hours. I put, apply the re- apply the Metfix on. I leave him in the office for about three hours, and give him a half hour illumination with the red light. Okay. Many of those, though, I will do with another form of photodynamic therapy, which is ALA and Lebulin, because the incubation time is lower, and I can get much more of a brisk reaction. It's a lot more painful than daylight Metfix, and mm-hmm. hands I may do with Lebulin Blue U instead of daylight Metfix. So Levulin Blue U, is it for the head and neck uh, pretty much been replaced by the by your red light, and uh, or by daylight rather? Yes, definitely, because it's a lot less painful, results are fantastic, and patients are much more accepting of it. I recently did a Levulin Blue U on a patient in December, came in and said, Doc, I'm never going to do that again. Okay. Even if it's a, it's, a, it's a treatment I love, and I still do lots of it because I have a number of patients that do like it, and some actually prefer it to daylight metrics. But the vast majority prefer daylight metrics over blue U and Levulin. Have you done Levulin under daylight? No, no, no. It's been reported. It is working, but I've never done that. Because it should theoretically activate. It will activate. I mean, um, the ALA that, that the Levulin does, is it's much rapid activation. It, it absorbs the light a lot faster, that 4 or 5 nanometer light with the blue U. And that's why I think you get a brisker reaction and you need less incubation time. So you stopped, uh, your retrospective chart review took you up to 2016. So in the past two years, have you seen your use of this daylight program sort of accelerate? Are you, are you upwards in over 300 treatments now? Oh, much more than that. Much more than that. I mean, most dermatologists would not have worried about the fact that Metrix was, was not available for the last three months. 
and it suddenly became available. I instantly bought 200 syringes because I'm probably going to do about 280 patients this year. Okay. And and it is it is is a dramatic the patient acceptance, the happiness, and the response rates. So let's when in those 300 people you're you're doing, let's let's give our listeners some sort of things to do's and and don'ts, um, and so that if they can. What, what lessons did you learn of those 300? I, patient selection um, uh, being the first thing. Um, what to tell people. How do you, and I, and I hear what you're saying about um, preventive therapy. I hear what you're saying about, um, you know, this isn't going to be so bad. You know, take, take a, do you have people take a day off work, two days off work, five days off work? That sort of thing. What, what's your sort of advice to these folks? I actually take them take five days, five to five days to a week off work. The hard thing is, is as dermatologists, we, as I said this before, we have to change the way we think. It's very easy to reach for that liquid nitrogen container, burn off three or four actinic keratoses, and say, "Come back and see me in three months' time," and keep doing that. It takes a lot of effort and time to sit down and talk to a patient. It takes a lot of effort and time and locks up a room for a considerable amount of time to do your daylight metrics. And there's not a huge monetary payback for it. If you take a look at it, it's easier to do to do liquid nitrogen over and over again than to do one daylight metrics. So you have to have a desire to do prevention. You have to have a desire to give people beautiful skin. But then you have to invest. You have to invest the time you're going to spend with the patient. You have to invest with nurses that are going to do a lot of the education and apply the metrics. And you have to have the room in your office for the patient to sit for at least an hour. And the other thing that's really essential, everyone that does daylight metrics gets my personal cell number, my home number, and my email. Because some of them may have such a brisk reaction that they need to talk to somebody. And you have to be available almost 24-7. But it's a quick phone call. Because every patient I see, I always give them a prescription for a topical antibiotic. I use Fusidin. I give them a topical steroid, either Desnite or Hydroval. And I give them a 10-day course of prednisone, to, a prescription for a 10-day course of prednisone to have on hand. So if they have a brisk reaction, they'll call me, they'll send me their photo, and I'll say, do this, this, and this. So out of 100 patients, maybe one will call me. So it's, it's, it's not that onerous, but you have to be willing to do that, to do the treatments. Because if the patient has a brisk reaction, they have nowhere to go to, and emerge won't understand it. So I think that's what holds people back. The the time, the, the effort it takes to talk to the patient, to have the staff to do the treatment, the room, and then to be available totally. And that's why, in my mind, it hasn't really picked up in Canada. So you're probably doing it early in the week as well. So don't abandon people for the weekend, eh? For me, well, my cell phone's with me. I've been sitting in Spain and I've talked to people. I've been in Australia and I've talked to people. And, and, and they appreciate being able to get a hold of you. And it's also mm-hmm. good medicine. You, you're doing it. They're better. They're happy. You see them back in the office and say, Doc, I'm so glad I talked to you. Within minutes of taking that oral drug, I was fine. And 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 they'll be back next year to do it so, again. So about 1% of people will need the prednisone, do you think? Yeah, 1% will call me and about 1% will need the prednisone. When they call me, I know pretty well. I like to see the photograph and they'll text me a photograph and, and I'll say, okay, yeah, that's a brisk reaction. You're going to hate, you may hate it now, but you're going to love me in about 10 days from now. Yeah, right. Do you start an antibiotic at the same time that you're starting people on prednisone with this? 
Because they're usually you know, pretty I'll, weepy and crusty, huh? Yeah, I'll, I'll give them a topical antibiotic to start using, but I never put them on an oral antibiotic until I physically see them. Okay. And I've never had to do that. All right. There's never anyone that ended up with a huge infection. And what about topical steroids? Do, do people routinely use it in the two to three days post-treatment? About 10 or 15% will fill the prescription. So I tell them, if you get really dry, scaly, and you're itchy, pick up your, pick up your hydrovel. I'm using hydrovel ointment or desinite ointment. So I pick those up and just start using them in and it just settles the symptoms. There's about 2% of patients that regret not doing it. I have to tell you that. There'll be about 2 to 3% that said, Doc, been there, tried it, but it's not for me. And, you know, life's like that, though. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, if we knew what we were, if, if we knew the perfect treatment, we'd use it the first time. Right? Exactly. And, <laughs> and tell me, now, if you've got someone that reacts the first time, what I've heard is that the second time you do it within a couple of weeks, it's probably a little bit less. When, when they get out and doing it every year, it's, are they going to pretty much get the same response they did the first time each time? Has that been your experience? Or is it, it just better and better each time they keep... It's like weeding the garden. Is it just better and better and better each year? As a whole, yes. But it, it's hard to... Uh, there's so many variables. I mean, that's how you apply the metrics, what the daylight was, how much time yeah. did they spend out there. What I find is the first couple of times the reaction is very brisk and it does taper off but I've never had a patient not react yet. So there's always sun damage going on and they're just and we're just, just reversing the clock back all the time on them. Yeah, my bet is you rarely get phone calls from people who have done it more than once. It's, it's that first time where the people get quite frightened if that reaction is so brisk. The first two times, yes, but then the, and some, but the funny thing is patients will actually come in and complain that they didn't have enough of a reaction and that the treatment didn't work. <laughs> And I have to tell them, I right. think it's because we've handled most of the damage and now we're just maintaining you. But they're upset because they, they know when they have that huge reaction, the skin is going to feel awesome. Okay. Well, um, I think we covered most of your article and most about PDT. Is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with? Any final words other than get out there and do it? What I really want them to think is that, you know, we have a treatment here that dramatically improves skin, reverses damage, and makes people look and feel better 10 years from when you started with them. And I know there's drawbacks to doing it, but think hard about incorporating it because it'll be great for your patients and it'll be rewarding for you as a physician to see such great skin. Okay. Well, great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kirk. Dr. Chital Sapra. Uh, is a dermatologist at the Institute of Cosmetic and Laser Surgery in Oakville, Ontario. And I hope you enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. In our conversation, Dr. Sapper began by presenting his concept of skin health. And he provides us with a very passionate plea for early and continuous treatment of these patients with photodamaged skin. Dr. Sapra positions daylight PDT as a necessary component of a skin health program along with the daily use of sunscreens. His manuscript outlines the PDT procedure in detail. He performs the procedure twice in the first few weeks and then annually, which would be different than I think most practitioners. Most of us would treat annually and not do a um, loading dose, if you will, in, in treating these folks. He notes that his return rate is high with 64% of his patients spontaneously returning in the second year. And the majority of his patients verbally reporting a very high degree of satisfaction with the treatment. 
Dr. Sapra also describes Tourette's of the hypertrophic actinokeratosis immediately prior to PDP treatment. He notes that a two-gram tube will cover either the entire face or the entire scalp, but not both at the same treatment. Dr. Sapper describes in detail his management of the individuals after their treatment. He ensures that patients have prescriptions for topical and systemic steroids and topical antibiotics before they leave his office, just in case they experience an unusually severe inflammatory reaction. And he has patients email their photographs to him if they're having troubles. In this way, he can assess patients from anywhere in the world and have them fill their prescriptions without the inconvenience of having to do so internationally. I'm hopeful that this podcast will change your practice and allow you to utilize PDT with with more confidence and more frequently, as it really does make a difference to our patients. So thank you again for listening. Uh, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that uh, you're notified of my next interview. I'm Dr. Kirk Barber, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery. Thanks for listening. Until our next visit, be good to each other.